Hello, golf fans, and welcome to a U.S. Open chat on the Big D Podcast. Before I bring in today's special guest, please subscribe, like, and share the Spunky Spectrum Sports YouTube page where you can see all my content. Hopefully got a ton of U.S. Open videos coming in the next few days. Also, check out the Big D Podcast on Spotify and Apple. So, back from seeing Nottingham Forest be promoted to the Premier League, and before he, he heads to the U.S., uh, my golfing buddy, Tom Jacobs, is back for our latest major discussion. Tom, uh, it's U.S. Open week. You know what that means. It's, uh, it's a tough week, right? Um, you know, it's it's one where hopefully we repeat the same success we had uh, last time at the U.S. PGA. Uh, I don't think we're going to have the same pick this week, but we will find out towards the end. Um, but if we did, I'm sure it would work out well. But uh, look, I'm I'm on cloud nine at the moment. Didn't I? I've, I've just seen my team get to the Premier League for the first time in 23 years. I'm wearing a shirt to uh, to commemorate that. Um, I don't think there'll be too many players. Maybe Lee Westwood might have a Forest shirt on at some point during the US Open next week if he's there. But uh, yeah, it, it, it's going to be an interesting week. I think the the main focus is going to be the golf course, the, the country client uh, country club at Brookline. Uh, is going to be everyone's big talking point. But uh, I suppose before we talk about that, we'll, we should talk about the elephant in the room. Yeah, well, usually when we talk LIV, we'll talk in Liverpool, but in <laughs> golfing terms, the LIV tour has become the number one point, maybe not just in golf, but maybe in all sports, over, maybe over the NBA finals, because the LIV tour has been become crazy and crazy for all these golfers playing this Saudi Arabia tour. Can you explain what the heck the LIV tour is? So, uh, yeah, so I think I think LIV stands for 54 in, uh, I think it's Roman numerals or, or something like that. So it's basically to signify that it's 54 holes. Um, it's a shotgun start every week. There's a team format and an individual format. Uh, so there's 48 players in the field each week, made up of 12 four-man teams. Uh, on the final day, the, the best three scores of your team count towards the final total. Uh, so at the moment, we've got Charles Schwartzel leading. Uh, he's set to make more money today than he has made in three and a half seasons on the PGA Tour. Uh, which, you know, it, it is what it is, right? You know, I think... I think we'll be surprised, and I think there'll be some more names after this US Open that that jump ship. I think when you, I think the silence is deafening. You know, we hear very very vocal from Roy McIlroy and Justin Thomas, uh, are very vocal against the Live Tour, uh, but there's not a lot of other people speaking up. There's not a lot of others that are saying that they're not going to go. And the ones that have said that are Dustin Johnson uh, and Bryson DeChambeau, and you know they're the ones that have made the move. So I think that there's still some more shock to come. Uh, I think once people realise that uh, Charles Schwartzel could make four million in one week, that they'll probably give their uh, give it a go as well. Uh, so I expect the field in Portland to be a bit bit better. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Charles Schwartzel, Justin Johnson. There are a whole bunch of golfers we've seen in the PGA Tour, and even a lot of major winners: DJ, Charles Schwartzel, Louis Roussaison, Sergio, Bill, Phil Mickelson. Lee Westwood's contending in majors, uh, Kevin Nah, 
won a PGA Tour event. Uh, Martin Keimer, he's won And Martin Keimer's only won a PGA in the US Open. <laughs> it's, do you know what, this, I, I have been a, a little bit outspoken about it, and I'm sure you've seen my tweets, and I'm sure... You know, I've probably lost a few followers and a few, uh, a bit of respect from people. And and that's fine. I I just, I have spoken to some of the players personally that have made the move uh, and they've explained their reasonings why to me. And um, I don't really have anything to say on it. I I don't, I I can't really criticise their decisions. You know, when, when the money that's there, you know, everyone talks about you should stay on the PJ Tour for legacy and things like that. But uh at the end of the day, then the money makes the world go round. And uh, if, if, you know, Peter Uline can earn more in, you know, one week than he's earned on the PJ Tour in his career, then, you know, it's a, it's a tough sell not to go over there. So, interestingly, it looks like all of them are going to be allowed to play in the US Open next week. Uh, there's rumours that they're trying to apply for DP World Tour memberships, uh, you know, to make up for the fact they haven't got PJ Tour memberships. But uh, it all remains to be seen how that's all going to pan out. I, I do think that the PJ Tour is going to have to take a step back and let these guys back on the tour at some point. Yeah, because you can't have because you can't have a PGA Tour with what seventy members. Because if Justin Johnson, Bryson, Phil, Patrick Reed want to play these events, then why can't they play? But I mean, be honest. I think the LIV tool feels more like a Ponzi scheme. It feels like more like a get rich scheme because there's all this kind of dirty money involved. And I think all these guys realize that with so many young golfers, whether it be Justin Thomas, Wells Torres, even a Rom's not John Rom's not young, he's still really good. Roy, these guys realize their chance of winning a major are over. So they want they want to. They want a few bucks before yeah. their career ends. Yeah, and do you know what? I think I think that's true. I, I don't I don't think that I don't think there's any other reason. Like all this stuff they come out with about it being fun and innovative and better for their families. That's not true. That's just what they're being paid to say, right? Um, they have made the move for money. Um, I just don't necessarily, you know, hold that against them. I think the only people you've actually heard come out and speak against it are Rory McIlroy and Justin Thomas so far. And uh, I think there's probably five players that I would definitively rule out ever making a move. And that'd be Rory, Justin Thomas, Jordan Spieth, uh, John Rahm and Tiger Woods. Other than that, I think it's fair game. I think, I think, I think the likes of Xander Schauffele, Patrick Cantlay, uh, you know, whoever I think would, could Tyrrell Hatton, Tommy Fleetwood. I don't, I don't see any reason why they wouldn't all, jump at the chance to go and play over there. So uh, hey, hey, yeah, exactly. And you know, if they mic him up, that'd be an interesting week for sure. Um, it, 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 I can understand people's concerns, but I can also see why the players are doing it. So it's uh, there's a, there's a balance in that. And I just think like you said, Dylan, if, if the PJ tour ban, all these players that make the move, I mean, Taylor Gooch has been one of the better stories this year on the PJ tour. Jason Kokrak has been the better story since lockdown where he's come out and won three times after a career of not winning. You know, Kevin Nahr has won plenty of times since 2018. Like, if you get rid of these guys, like, as much as they keep saying there's stories on the PJ Tour and the Cameron Youngs are coming through and the Mito Pereiras are coming through, you can't always rely on that happening. So they're going to have to, you know, think about that. Yeah, I'm just thinking... 
thinking. You can't have young guys be your storyline and then all the old faults play in Saudi Arabia, Portland, London, Miami, or whatever it is. I mean, if 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 if, if the young guys' narrative is your story, right, which is something we normally see on the on the Corn Ferry Tour, on the Challenge Tour, if they're not if they're not testing themselves and proving themselves against the experienced pros and and the legends of the game, is their story that as interesting without that? I, you know, I, I don't know. It, you know, do you want to see Cameron Young coming out better against you know Sergio Garcia, or do you want to see him coming out better against Mito Pereira? It, they're both exciting. It just depends what you prefer. So, I think the casual fans will miss the the more experienced names more than the the degenerate gamblers amongst us. What do you think about the golf course? So, let, let's come away from live. For a second, because thank God, it's it's an important story, but it's not something we want to dominate this. You know, this is a U.S. Open preview, isn't it, Dylan? And thank you very much. Obviously, this is a Saturday that we're recording, as opposed to Sunday, because as you said at the top, I'm uh, I'm going away on Monday, so I appreciate you being flexible. But what do you think about Brookline and you know the Country Club as a golf course? Because it's it's one of the shorter ones that we've seen on the rotation. You know, it's more on the lines of Pebble Beach and Marion and the things like that. Um, past 71, just over 7,000 yards. Who do you think that's going to play into and, and what do you think the players are going to have to do to succeed there? Well, thinking back to uh, recent Opens, it's 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 an old school course. It's one where length's not going to be an issue. I mean, yeah, there are a couple long holes. Uh, the 14th is over 600 yards, so a couple long holes, but it feels more like a, a course where accuracy is going to play more important than length. Yeah. One where the short grass is better than the long grass. I know Bryson DeChambeau won the 2020 US Open at Wingfoot, which might not be a bad comparison course, but I think Wing, but uh, Wingfoot was quite a bit long, was almost 7,500 yards. I think this course is going to play shorter. I think it's going to be one where you need accuracy. And I think you're going to need to scramble because at U.S. Opens, you're not going to hit every shot great. And you're going to need to get that ball up and down from the bunkers, maybe two putt from 40 feet. So it's going to be one with scrambling matters, accuracy matters. I think length will still be important, but one where you you could get by with a little less power and still win. Yeah, and I think you've got to look at probably 2019 at Pebble Beach and, you know, it's, it's a short golf course, but who were the two uh, top two finishers, Gary Woodland and Brooks Kepka? What are they good at? Driving it long. John Rahm was third. Xander Shoffley was third. Uh, you know, Rory McIlroy was in the top 10 there. But then you had people like Fitzpatrick, Matt Wallace, Danny Willett, Ches Reevy was third. They're all mixed in. So I think what you'll see... Uh, is a balanced approach. Chesson Hadley was inside the top 10 that year, uh, that week. So I think it'll bring a good mix of people in. I don't think you can discount just bombers because I think they can take the you know the course apart. I think he looks at the Canadian Open. They've all had a lot of wedges in their hand when they've actually made the fairway. So if you can be long and straight, then great. Um, but, I, but I generally do agree with you that I think that the accuracy is going to matter the most. Yeah. 
Are there any course comparisons that you or you that you are using for Brookline? Because obviously this course, old course, been around forever. But are there any old courses that you are using for Brookline? I thought this was really tough because they're not that you know they're, they're quite different. Although the setups always seem to be almost the same, no matter how long or straight they are. But uh, I thought Marion from 2013 was interesting. Um, you know, Justin Rose won there, beat Jason Day and Phil Mickelson. Again, all, you know, really strong drivers of the golf court at the time or long drivers of the golf court at the time. Um, but then they beat Jason Duffner, Billy Horshaw, Hunter Mahan, Ernie Els. Like, Luke Donald was inside the top eight. I think it's a really good mix and it's a really good way of bringing different players into it. Inside the top 10 that week, uh, so I'll read the top 10 from start to uh, finish. Justin Rose won, Jason Day and Phil Mickelson in second. Jason Duffner, Ernie Els, Billy Horschel, Hunter Mahan in tied fourth. Luke Donald and Steve Stricker in tied eight, very similar players. Tied 10th, Nicholas Colsarts, one of the biggest hitters on tour at the time. Gonzalo Fernandez Castaño, not a long hitter. Ricky Fowler, Hideki Matsuyama. So you get a real wide range of players. Um, and I think when you look at the top of the list, it sort of suggests that you can kind of rely on several different facets. Yeah, I think Marin, I think Marin's a good one. Although that 2019 Pebble was a little with an asterisk next year because I remember the Marine layer was over Pebble the whole week. So it wasn't the true test and ended up playing more like the AT&T Pro-Am than Pebble Beach. But, uh, yeah. but uh, um, they're not taking away the trophy from uh, Gary Woodland and he uh, rightfully won in that week. He's not going to get many others, so they definitely don't want to do that. Although he, uh, never. what about what about Olympic Club in 2012? Oh, I didn't. I never thought about the Olympic Club, but that's a good one. You got you got Webb Simpson winning there. Graham McDowell, Michael Thompson in second. Jim Furyk, John Peterson, David Toms, Jason Duffner, Podrick Harrington tied fourth. Um, Holy crap! That sounds like that sounds like a. 2001 Ryder Cup of precedent. Yeah. yeah, well, when you start going down to Ernie Els, Retief Goose and John Senden, that certainly uh, sounds like it. But I think that is an interesting one to look at as well. I, I think it's hard because, you know, each this kind of Brookline test, we haven't seen it really uh, outside of the US Amateur in 2013, was it? When Matt Fitzpatrick won. Um, we, we haven't really seen it since the 1999 uh, Ryder Cup for the men. So... And uh, that, that's a sore subject. Yeah, yeah. We're not going to get into a discussion over <laughs> what happened in the European on that faithful Sunday. <laughs> but do you think, do you, so do you think people will put too much stock in that 2013 US amateur? Because Matthew Fitzpatrick's going to be very, very popular because one, he is playing well. Um, but the US amateur is such a different tournament to, you know, what you generally see week to week. I mean, yes and no. I mean, the fact this factor played well at Brookline nine years ago helps. Now, true, it's a different it's a different golf course. It's now a Gil Hans redesign, and we saw how that played at the PGA last month. I mean, Scotty Scheffler said he called um, Southern Hills quote his favorite golf course in the world and missed it's the cup. Yeah, I mean, Jordan Spieth and Augusta seem to have a 
seemed to have a match made in heaven, and he missed the cut. Yes, it helps Fitzpatrick that he's played well at Brookline in the past, but this course is longer. It's going to – and golf scenes. Guys hit the ball 350 yards now. You're going to hit a wedge 150. I mean, golf – Golf is a different game, and yeah, Fitzpatrick is playing well, but I think he's going to have a lot more pressure, particularly with what happened the final round at the PJ when he led and literally uh, pooped the bed. I think it's interesting, right? Because 2018, uh, US Amateur, who won that? Uh, trying to think. What course was that at? That was at Pebble. Uh, has he won? Was that Scheffler? No, it was a young player, and it is someone that you will you will kick yourself when uh, it was a European. Hmm. Oh, Victor Hovland. Victor Hovland, right? So Victor Hovland won the US Amateur at Pebble Beach, and then he finished inside the top twelve at the US Open. Uh, following year Michael Thompson played at the 2007 US Amateur at Olympic Club I think he lost to Colt Nost but he then finished second at the US Open uh, Olympic Club five years later might just be there might just be a little bit more of a pointer there than than maybe I've ever given it credit for before um, so maybe it's just something to keep an eye on Hey, if you hey if you make burpees, it's going to be like how how we made them nine years ago. Yeah, doesn't matter, does it? As long as you're playing well, and you know the good thing for for McAfee's Patrick is he is playing well. So I do think he's one to watch, but that's not something that is going to be uh, breaking news on your podcast. I'm afraid of him. <laughs> it will, or in the golf world because everybody seems to fall yeah, in love with exactly that. Patrick next. <laughs> What about like who would be who would you say is overpriced in the odds? So obviously we'll come on to our actual definitive picks at the end, but who would be for you your guys that you're looking at and you think, okay, their odds are just too big. I might have to bet them or pick them in in DraftKings just because they're such big odds. Uh to be honest, uh I'm not sure I'd go with the favorites because Ram and JT seemingly 12 to 1. Probably can't bet him. Roy. Roy intrigues me at 14, but to be honest, I think my betting card would probably start with Matthew Fitzpatrick at 28. I think uh Colin Morcow interesting. I like Colin Morcow. And actually, to be honest, going into this year, I thought Morcow would have been the favorite for the year. U.S. Open because seemingly this is his kind of a course. Shorter when one, where distance isn't always a factor. Remember him winning Holden Park a couple years ago, and I think Holden Park might not be a bad one. It'll be harder, but yeah. But uh, but um, the guys that thirty, a couple guys that thirty-five to one seem interesting. You and I, we both like guys in the thirty-five to one category, but uh. My guy Will Zalatoris, thirty-five to one again. It's going to happen with Will Zalatoris. I know Will Zalatoris is literally like the most unaccurate driver on the tool, but I think, but 
this week he won't have to hit the driver so much. He can put the ball in play. And I think one of these weeks he will be there. And then a guy I am surprised is 35 to 1. It's Jordan Spieth. I, I'm I'm I don't know if the uh, if uh, the betters are seeing the same thing I am because Jordan Spieth played really well, especially since Augusta. I mean, one heritage, second at the tournament beef a couple weeks Byron ago. Byron Nelson. At the Byron Nelson, thank you. And then he even played well, played really well for three rounds last week at the Memorial, which really isn't a course for Jordan. And yes, Jordan's I, I, I can't imagine Jordan Spieth having a bad having a bad put in him because do you realize I've got on you realize Jordan Spieth this year is what a hundred and I think he's like a hundred and fiftieth in putting. You know who the best player is in the field in putting? Oh gosh. <laughs> who? Terrell Hatton. Oh gosh. You are not do you're not killing. Yep, he is he is just behind Brian Gay in strokes game putting. Uh, and Brian Gay will not be at the US Open. So uh, yeah, Terrell Hassan is your best putter for the US Open. But while you're just bringing up those stats, I think one of the guys that was kind of interesting to me, one, I, th- I agree that, you know, Colin Morikawa always seems quite big odds. Um, you know, just the fact that he's the same price as Matthew Fitzpatrick and, you know, Colin Morikawa's won two of the last eight majors makes you uh, think a little bit, right? I, I don't necessarily think he's playing well enough at the moment, but we didn't think that going into the Open Championship either. And, you know, there he was and won again. Uh, Jordan Spieth's just been, like you say, very, very solid. I uh, was a little bit disappointed at the PGA Championship. I've got to be honest. Uh, you know, I thought I was really in, you know, really into him at Southern Hills. Uh, found him and JT really hard to separate. So I ended up going with both. And luckily JT got me out of there. But, uh, you know, to me, one guy that I never normally have too much of an interest in, just because I think he's very limited in where he can succeed. But Daniel Berger, um, and he is he is as big as 50 to 1 uh, over here. We get 10 places each way as well. Um, that's just crazy number for me. He's got a, a sixth and a seventh in US Opens um, already in his career. He's made the last four straight cuts in uh, US Opens as well. So slightly short to go for. So I think that suits Daniel Berger. Yeah, and the courses that he's done was typically shorter courses, ones for, and wins not been that much of a problem. I mean, of course, we all saw what happened when he blew the lead at the Honda Classic, where yeah, I don't know how he lost that tournament, but no, that 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 does seem a little bit of a chink in his armor at the moment because he he shot seventy three in the final round of the Memorial as well uh, when he was in a decent shout and finished tied fifth. Um, Charles Schwab, he finished tied 23rd and again, could have been better than that. So there's been a couple of occasions where he's let himself down in the final round and that would be a concern for me. But uh, I do think Daniel Berger is interesting. Are you worried about his, uh, his lack of a major success? Because in the two majors this year, Berger got a T50 at the Masters and missed the cut in the PGA. But we know weather played a big impact on like what side of the draw you were on. I mean, the fact that Justin Johnson missed cut, Hudson both made, that a DJ missed cut, Patrick Cantley. Patrick Cantley, why are you so, why are you 22 to one in every freaking major? 
I think, I think he's a guy that's going to be letting people down. Uh, he'll probably come out and win now after he's broken a few hearts. But uh, no, you make a really good point. I think, I think, like you say, you've got to, the Masters, you know, just is what it is. Like, it's probably not the best golf course for Daniel Berger, despite the fact he's actually had some decent success there in his first couple of starts. And Southern Hills just wasn't for him, right? It was, it was a long, you know, at, uh, you know, total driving test. And that's just not Daniel Berger. I think here where accuracy matters a little bit more uh, and good scrambling, I think Daniel Berger can uh, can find himself in contention. And by the way, if you want a couple other longer odds, uh, Sun JM at 51 intrigues me. I think Sun Jay's playing really well since he came back from COVID. And, and uh, I mean, it's so consistent. Consistent. I mean, tie eight masters, finish all at Heritage, played well last week at the Memorial. And Sun JM's got a lot of experience for a young guy, and I feel like he's capable of winning. This isn't a long course. So I think I think Sunjay is interesting at 50 to 1. And then maybe the biggest elephant in the room, Bryson DeChambeau at 80 the one. Well, if you look at Bryson DeChambeau, 22 year, there's not been a worse golfer. He has literally missed the cut in everything. Yep, he is but terrible. Back at a, but we're back at a U.S. Open. And if there's one event Bryson DeChambeau geared his season for, it's not the Memorial, it's not the Masters or the PGA. It's the United States Open. So I think. I think normally I would be in on Bryson just because most of the setups tend to be long and tough and you need the power to get out of the rough. But I just wonder here whether it's it's kind of set up to negate him a little bit. Um, and he's just not playing well, is he? So, But when you look at his record, he's over the last, what, seven years of playing US Opens, he's made the last four cuts. He's finished inside the top 35 every time he's made the weekend and he's won one. So... It's it's really hard to rule someone like Bryson out. Um, I think getting the the live tour announcement off his back is probably uh, a relief. But do you think any of those guys are going to come over here and play well? Can we see Dustin Johnson playing well? He's obviously got a fine U.S. Open record and two top sixes. His last four starts, a win, the second and the fourth before that. Does does he come back and get some redemption? I don't know. It could go one or two ways for DJ because he could either shine and get over this all this negativity, all this bad publicity, or the fan, or the fans, or the fans say "Liv, Liv, live," and all of a sudden he misses cuts because to me, Dustin Johnson is capable of winning any major. Yeah, I I, I think you know, he'll. Of the people that are coming back from over there, I think he would be the one to watch. But, uh, you know, Patrick Reed. Yeah, CJ's type 12th at the Masters, but missed cut at the PJ, which seemingly was the course that fit him. And, I mean, maybe the fact he won't have to hit all drivers could help him, maybe because if it's an iron wedge fest, we know what DJ can do with wedges. The problem is... Can he be there for four rounds in a major? Yeah, he's just not playing well enough, is he, at the moment, to, to really know that. But I just think at the moment you are going to eventually get too big of a number on him to uh, not at least look twice. And the same with Patrick Reed. I think he's got a very good US Open record and 
if there's going to be a US Open set up that suits him, this might be it. So um, I wouldn't necessarily pick those two guys, but they are people that I think are worth keeping on your radar if you're looking for some value. But there's there's a couple of guys I want to talk about. <coughs> and one of them is Tommy Fleetwood, who I think is playing a lot better than you know he has been. I think that's a, that's an obvious statement to make. He's I think he's was he made every single cut for the last one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven cuts. Um, he's had two top ten finishes in his last three starts, four in his last five, and uh, he's been he's finished fourteenth in the Masters and fifth at the US PGA this season. He's now coming into the US Open, which he's played very very well uh, over the years as well, with a fourth and second. I just wonder if it might suit him with the slightly shorter track. Hey, talk about a guy who can get crazy hot, Tommy Fleetwood. Seems like Tommy Fleetwood's always popular in majors, both as a better and DFS player. And think back to that final round at Shinnecock where he all darn near won the tournament with, yeah. the, with that final round 63 in 2018. Him, him and Tyrrell Hatton have just been great at the moment. And, you know, they're kind of being uh, outshone by Shane Larry and Matthew Fitzpatrick in terms of Europeans on the PJ Tour. But both of them are coming back into some good form. And then the other guy I think is worth talking about who unfortunately got a win two weeks ago, which means his price has crashed. But Billy Horschel is suddenly looking like a player that I could be interested in. Um, you know, he's got a terrible major record in general, but where has he played his best major, uh, Dylan? Don't tell me, the US Open. The US Open. What course was it on? <laughs> Don't tell uh, Marion. Merriam, he finished tied fourth that week. And I think it was the first round or the second round that he hit all 18 greens in regulation. So, um, and he was wearing octopus pants at the time as well. So Billy Horschel, uh, for me, is someone that I think has always been someone you'd expect to do better in major championships. And I think now is the time. You're start, starting to look at him. He's starting to make cuts rather than miss them. Uh, maybe just preparing for them differently for the major championships now. And only 43rd of the Masters and 68 at the PGA. It's not great, but uh, I do think if a course is going to suit him, this might be one. It's interesting. And Billy Horsher can get on those crazy worlds. Remember that one year where he literally won, where he didn't make, I don't know if it was the Ryder Cup or President's Cup team, and then won the FedEx Cup. Yeah. Is he, he's just that guy, right? You know, we expect him to be the guy that, you know, rolls these kind of things into success and I don't know. It's so tough. When you look at, you know, US Open records, you don't get much better than uh, than Brooks Koepka, do you? He's, he's won two, finished second and fourth since. Uh, just not playing well, had a lot of things on. Um, again, you look at John Rahm, he's been absolutely spectacular in US Opens, first and the third, best driver in the world. Um, Xander Schauffele, how many US Opens has he played in, Dylan? And he's contending in all of them, Stephen. Five, five US Opens, five top seven finishes. But no trophies. But no trophies, and he doesn't win trophies ever, uh, really. So As long as they're not team events, and I don't think the US Open's a team event. It's, well, maybe you should go to live. You should play in that, that team money. Uh, go and get the bag. Uh, he could be winning four million this week if he was playing the way he's been playing. So, um, I don't know. It, it's tough. I think... It's still Saturday. I've still got some research to do. Uh, it's, it's really hard to kind of nail down. But uh, at the moment, I've kind of got my eyes on those guys I've mentioned so far. 
All right, a break from the uh, odds. Uh, you know me, I am a trivia nerd, so I thought, what tri what trivia question would be perfect for the U.S. Open and this golf course? Hmm, I've got one for you. Thinking back to the 1988 U.S. Open, which was before both all times, we know Curtis Strange won in a playoff. Who did he beat in said playoff? That's strange. Was it a European? A famous European major winner. Mr. Nick Fowder. Sir Nick Fowder, you dog. Only because I thought you're picking a you're picking someone that might be English because I'm English and I don't really remember anyone other than Nick Faldo being good at majors at that time for England. Uh, so, yeah, Nick Faldo for me, that was a complete guess. I did not know that. Um, so that would have been a really good trivia question. Um, so, look, what did Nick, what, you know, what did Nick Faldo do well? What was, it, what was the sort of things that he did well when, you know, he was playing Brookline in 1988? It's a long time ago now, but I guarantee he was a straight, accurate driver of the golf ball. Yeah, if you think... And uh, in the playoff string shot, even Paul and Fowler shot full. So is that a, um, how many holes was that? Was 18. It 18 hole playoff. That's tough, isn't it? That's a tough, that is a tough thing to do after playing 72 holes already. I'm glad they don't do that anymore. Yeah, two hole playoffs are a bit easier. I mean, Tiger played 91 holes on a bad wheel. I actually quite like the way that the PJ uh, the PJ Championship do it, where you got those three aggregate holes. I think that's quite interesting because it does give you, it gives a player a chance to show how good they've been over a decent amount of time. You know, not just coming down to one bad shot, but it also doesn't extend it, you know, too long. I think that three hole format at the PJ, where uh, Justin Thomas beats Alatoris, was was pretty cool. I think the Open's four holes. That's about that's about the limit. That's about I can't remember now because when did we last get? Was it the 2015 St Andrews we had the playoff? Zach, Louis Hayson, and who was the other one? Mark Leishman. Mark Leishman. I knew there was an Aussie in there. Yeah, I I I'll tell you how I know that Dylan because I bet on Louis Hayson and Mark Leishman that week. <laughs> And you were, and you've got a sixty six percent chance of winning, and you yeah. knew, and you knew what was going to happen before the playoff even started. The and other guy was going to win. And Zach Johnson said at the start of the week that you can't win at St Andrews, so that was great. <laughs> that was absolutely great. Um, big news, I suppose, is that Tiger Woods is not going to be here, Dylan. Uh, bummer. Do, do you think that, I actually think that's a good thing for him though? Because. Yeah. He's got one shot this year of playing well and it's at St Andrews and he's trying to do everything he can do to get better for that. I don't think it's going to be as easy to walk around as everyone's saying. It's going to be like, oh, you know, St Andrews is flat. It's easier for him to walk around. Like, I've walked around there as a spectator. It's not easy. Um, I know I'm walking in the rough whereas he's walking in the fairways. But, um, you know, I, I, I do think it was a good move because I don't see how he would have contended at this US Open. 100%. Especially because with this being the 150th Open Championship at the Old yeah. Fields, 
Tiger's not really built for U.S. Opens. How he made both major cuts is a miracle, but I mean... What is he, a two-time winner at St. Andrews, Tiger Woods? Uh, 2000 and 2005, unless... Yeah, that's it, yeah. He beat um, Thomas Bjorn and Ernie Els in 2000, and he beat Colin Montgomery in 2005. Oh, man. Talk about a guy who never won a major. By the way, how many strokes did he win that 2000 Open Championship by? Uh, I think it was either six or eight. Well, you're definitely right. It's one of those. So I'll let you pick. Eight. Eight. Yeah. Eight strokes he won that by. And then how many strokes do you think he beat Colin Montgomery by? Less than the two numbers you just said. Three. Five. Five oh. shots. He is so ridiculously dominant when he wins a major championship. Yeah, um, he only won a US Open by 15 and a Masters by 12. It's just, <laughs> it's just absolutely outrageous, isn't it? 12 strokes, his first ever major championship. Uh, and by the way, he opens with a round of 70. Uh, 15 strokes, he wins the US Open. Eight strokes, the Open Championship. Uh, five strokes, the Open Championship again. Five strokes, the PJ Championship against uh, Sean McKeel. And by the way, he was tied for the lead when he won that 2006 PGA by five strokes going into going into the final round. Um, that that's just bananas to me. Um, he had a ten-stroke lead going into the final round of that U.S. Open where he won by uh, 15 strokes, but to go and extend it by another five—that's just absolutely outrageous. Yeah. In fact, bogey, every bogey-free final round. Every the, every single one of them that he won by that amount, right? So. When he won that Masters by 12 strokes, he had a nine-shot lead after 54 holes. So he grows that by three. He wins the US Open by 15 strokes, grows the 54-hole lead by five. He wins the 2000 Open Championship by eight strokes, grows the 54-hole lead where it was six strokes by two. Uh, you know, just mad, just really dominant, just just puts his foot down. Uh there's a reason why Liv Golf offered uh, Tiger Woods nearly a billion dollars to go and make the move. Um, that so would what that be chunking to a Tiger now? With Tiger yeah, I mean he'd, he'd be a double, he'd be a double billionaire, wouldn't he? So uh, doesn't even matter anymore, does it? But Dylan, let's let's wrap these up. Let's think about because let's talk about the week at hand. Tiger Woods isn't here, unfortunately. Uh, Liv Golf, we're not going to talk about any longer. So who is going to win the U.S. Open? The last time we did this, Dylan. We agreed. We both picked Justin Thomas and they won. And he won. So, uh, and I'm pretty sure we also, who was your pick at the Masters? Xander. Xander. Okay, well, that's fine. You know, you can't, can't get them all right. Um, but I'm pretty sure we spoke Scotty Sheffer up quite a lot when he uh, when he won. And I made, famously made the switch from Scotty Sheffer to Justin Thomas. I got it uh, a major early and I'm glad I stuck with him. But uh, who's your main pick for the US Open? Roy McIlroy. Win, win a second US Open next week. What what makes you say, Rory? I mean, let's let's look at his record in US Open. So, first of all, he has played, and I'm going to have to do my maths here, or well, not maths, but just counting. So, I think he's played 14 US Opens already in his career. Uh, how many of those do you think he's made the cut in? Uh, is it is it good news or bad news for me? Good. No, not quite. He's made he's made nine, so he's missed five cuts. How many top tens do you think he's had in the US Open, including his win? 
Now, that might be a problem. No, it's good. Five? Six. Six top tens in the US Open. So he finished 10th on his US Open debut. uh, And the last three US Opens, he's finished ninth, eighth, and seventh. Do you you worry that the golf course negates his biggest strength? Actually, I actually don't think... I actually think it enhanced in strength because Rory won't have to hit drive on every hole. He'll be True. three wood and still bombing out there 300 yards. Yep. I think the question with Rory is simple. Can he put it together for four rounds? Because how many times has he contended since winning the CJ Cup and not won the trophy? But so, should I tell you what to do, Dylan? If if you uh, can you can you bet on it? You can't bet on it, can you? I wish I could. No. So but it, for the people that are watching that can bet on it, if you're going to bet on Rory McIlroy to win the US Open, you definitely, definitely want to bet on him to be the first round leader because he loves starting fast. Absolutely loves starting fast. He's done it at the PGA Championship, didn't he? He had a, you know, what was it a two-stroke lead going into the Friday? And and then he put the bet in that in weird. the nine conditions on Friday. And I've got a theory about that. Do you think he got too wrapped up in Tiger Woods? I think I would argue in a way Roy and Jordan Spieth both got a little... Both both of them were crap that day. And and I, I think that it's no coincidence that they both played really badly when there was this real... Because everything after the round, all they talked about was how amazing Tiger was and how he made this cut and what a feat it was and it was heroic. And I just wonder if they spent their whole round going, oh, I can't believe he's doing this. I can't believe he's made that shot. I can't believe he's going to make this cut. Rather than going, actually, I need to go and shoot a 67 and get on with my day. Uh, so I, I think that was a little bit of a distraction. And I think that could play into his hands if he gets a, a karma draw this time around. And you know what? We've seen we've seen guys finally show up and major. Justin Thomas finally got another major. John Rahm finally got his major. DJ got another major. So is Patrick Canlay then? Oh, gosh. <laughs> I, I think for me, I, I I can't decide who my guy is at the top yet, but I think my favourite bet, as I look at it at the moment, is Tommy Fleetwood. Ooh. I think he's just playing really, really good golf right now. Uh, and it's been a long time since I said that about Tommy Fleetwood. I've been very critical of him uh, for a long time now, but he started fast at the Players' Championship and sort of fell away, but 14th for the Masters and 5th for the PGA Championship. In events that he's not, you know, generally dominated in the past, uh, I think he's uh, now coming into what could potentially be his favourite major. I think he's got a good chance. Trying to think, when was the last Englishman to win a a US Open? I'm I'm befuddled when the last Englishman to win a US Open was. Englishman to win a US Open. Where do you think it was, Dylan? Oh no, you're not not here. Not oh yeah, of course, Rose. Justin Rose at Marion. So it's all written in the stars. We're gonna get another English winner at a golf course similar to Marion. It's not gonna be Justin Rose, although I think he could be a sneaky little DFS play. Tommy Fleetwood is going to win the US Open. So we're both going with Sort of Brits. You're going with an Englishman. I'm going with a Northern Irishman. Yeah, you're kind of going with a with a basically an American. He's. I can't remember the last time he was Northern Irish. 
Although he does still have that kind of twang, whereas G-Mac sounds, you know, just broken, doesn't he? If only he um, would have shown up at a Royal Fort Rush a few years ago for the open, but uh, I, uh, yeah, I, I think that's I think that's where I'm going to sort of pin my mask at the moment, Dylan. So when you're uh, shopping up our picks at the end and uh, and putting it out on Twitter, there I am, Tommy Fleetwood. Uh, I think is a good price. All right, Tom. So thanks for hopping on. We wish you well, and uh, it's going to be a fun U.S. Open week. It is, buddy. Thank you very much for having me.